Welcome to the Along Come Norwich podcast as we woefully weep over Wesley's departure which should only be referred to as Wexit. You join us in the week leading up to the departure of the Irish magician and I'm joined by regulars Lorne, Punt and our special guest Paddy Davitt, outstanding content producer for Archant, The Pinkin and best known as the straight man to Michael Bailey's live stream bantering. We'll of course discuss our memories of Wes, take your questions and round off with the quiz. But first off, let's look back to the three most recent games. Um, as ever, it's end of season fair, so it's gone a little bit into a bit like watching a pre-season friendly. But there were a couple that meant something. Obviously, to, to Sunderland, Cardiff, and, and Preston, it was a case where the opposition were all playing for points, even though we weren't. Lorne, would you like to kick us off on on how you feel? Um, what what pointers we can take from that into next season? So I think rather than being end of season stuff, it's now pre-season stuff for next year, and they haven't been the world's Greatest performances, obviously, but I do think that, as you touched upon, the fact that we have, apart from Cardiff, where we deserve to take a point, but they ultimately didn't, we haven't lost to any of those teams who are fighting for their lives or fighting for points. So I think that's a positive. We haven't rolled over, we haven't all switched off and put flip-flops on and got off to the beach, and it's a good pre-season ahead of next season. So Paddy, you obviously presumably agree that it is in a very, very extended pre-season. What kind of vibe are you getting from around the boys as to how Costa del Colony has it gone compared to previous rundowns? Yeah, it's a difficult one because I think this season, compared to pretty much all the last four or five, there's not materially a lot on it. You know, they're either been going for promotion or, you know, trying to stave off relegation. So those by definition, gave an edge to the, the football because there was something on every game. And as you referenced there, you know, for the Prestons, the Cardiffs, even the Sunderlands from the other end of the scale, they all had something on the game. So in that context, you'd, you would you would almost be expecting this season to be a little bit of the, the flip-flops and the, and the sandcastles. But given their due, and no more no more so than the last game, you know, Preston, Alex Neil properly had those boys up, up for it and... Um, you know, there wasn't many in the ground, but the ones who were there were making a right racket in the second half. And if there was any sort of sense of uh, we don't really fancy this, there's not nothing to play for, then I think you would have seen them come away from there and getting beat two or three. Um, as it was, they dug in, put their head and bodies on the line. You got Josh Murphy at the back post tackling for his life in the 89th minute. So, yeah, for me, on that point, I don't think it's a question. I think they are still giving everything they've got, but. Within that, of course, you know, again, it's another game without um, really a threat at the top end of the pitch. So the structural issues that have been there all season are still there now, but I don't think you can question the, the mindset. A question, one thing that uh, you raised on Twitter during the game, arriving just after the game, um, where it was very clear that Neil, you just mentioned, had the, his boys drilled to snap into them and they, you know, they don't like it up and kind of mentality. Mm. Um, which I think, again, leading towards next season and the structural problems, shows that it's very easy to to work out how to kind of dis- disrupt Norwich. And Alex Neil showed that he was able to do that. How how confident are you that um, that's a system thing versus a personnel problem that we need to solve in the summer? For me personally, now it is more tipping towards the actual people on the pitch rather than the formation. I think that he was wedded. Farker, this is. When he first came in, he had a very philosophical way of how he wanted to play. Good technical midfielders controlling the game through possession. And we all know what happened, you know, the watershed moment at Millwall. And, and I thought from that point onwards, he was a lot more pragmatic. You know, Alex Tete came back in, who wasn't getting a look in. He, he fancied Harrison Reid in that position. Um, so I think in terms of is he willing to change and adapt? Yes. But he also, within that, needs the resources to be able to do it. And you mentioned Alex Neil. Um, and after the game, I actually had five minutes just one-to-one with him and and obviously had a good relationship with him when he was here and, and, and he spoke quite openly and he basically said it was very easy to set up against Norwich. You basically just banked up, you, you tucked in, um, knowing full well that a Leitner, Vrancic and Madison, um, they're not really going to run on behind you. So, you know, he, he, was, he was very clear that Norwich are a little bit too predictable um, and once you frustrate them, they, they haven't really got too much in the way of an alternative. But 
to reiterate, I think that is personnel. And for me, particularly the top end of the pitch now, they need to go out this window and within the financial constraints they've got, find somebody who can score goals, not a Shrebeni who is potential. I think it needs a little bit more than that. Okay, so so John, again, going back on these, these last three games, um, what have you found interesting in his approach to, to the players he's played or rather the lack of um, different things he's potentially tried? I thought we might have seen more of, a, of the pack being shuffled, more yeah. kind of rolling of the dice. I think it's interesting that he's gone to, he's ditched three at the back, which everyone was wholesale in favour for, and he's kind of almost started playing this 4-1-4-1 that we were playing at the start of the season by stealth. It was, you know, it's just no one's really noticed, and that's what we're doing. Um, but what's interesting for me is he's kept Harrison Reed on the pitch in the absence of Ivo Pinto, because actually he was supposed to be our first choice right back. He's our captain, pitch for Yellow Army, you know, supposed to be this inspirational leader. And effectively, he's favouring a low knee who probably isn't going to be here next season. He's, play, he's, pl- he's playing to show Saints that, um, look, you need me first name on the team sheet when all of your Prem players fuck off in the summer. Yep, it? indeed. So I think that's interesting. And, he, and he's brilliant. I mean, we were we were like maybe a little bit wishy-washy on him uh, over Christmas time because in midfield he was getting overrun. Um, but then since he's made that right-back berth his own, um, I think, you know, considering he's playing that position, he, he definitely looks... Like he will be at home in Saints midfield next season. He doesn't look great going forward as a right back, but defensively, all right, he gets caught out positionally sometimes. But that's nothing that Evo doesn't do. You know, we've all kind of lambasted him for his defensive prowess on here before. Um, but it's interesting now as well. You know, just getting back to the original question that Farker is playing technicians in the midfield pretty much wholesale now. So you've got Vrancic there all the time, Madison there all the time. Light has come back in. He is starting to favour that technical game again, and Vrancic is being able to mix it. So I don't know. I think. The system is slowly getting there, but as you've alluded to, Pad, it's top end of the pitch. And I only caught bits and bobs of Preston, but Onel Hernandez, as soon as he came on, there was a different dimension because there was a, a runner to hit. There was someone who will get in behind and actually do it. I think that's the key thing, is that I think Farker's system requires people to run in behind. The whole point of it is, so Scrabeni comes deep, sucks defenders in, and then wide men go in between the fullback and the centre-halves. Is that not what... Well, that's one of the things that I liked about five at the back. You can then overload on the wings. And then Vrancic, who we've said has done terrifically at playing a first-time ball, um, sort of round the corner for a Josh or someone to run round the corner, that's that's more feasible when you've got extra players out wide and also less dangerous if it doesn't come off because it's only one of the wide players that's gone and someone can fill in. Potentially, but I think that's where Ronel Hernandez has offered us a different option that perhaps Josh Murphy should have offered earlier. And you... I think the frustrating thing with Josh Murphy is he's got the pace and the ability to make those runs in behind. And when he does, he's also got the composure like he showed at Arsenal to finish it off. But he doesn't make the run often enough or he times it wrong so the ball is too late or he's too late. And I think where Onel Hernandez has given us that extra dimension is he makes the run that Farkas' system needs someone to make. And I think that will be where we look to strengthen in the summer is another O'Neill Hernandez to offer that pace and directness. As a striker or as a midfielder, because we, if we're thinking we're going to go with, with Hernandez left and Murphy right of, of a three, then where, where does the other Hernandez fit in? Well, because I, I think that's just words, striker and midfielder. The way Farker plays, you don't have a striker and a midfielder. That's, you the, have... most, that's the most original way you've just... <laughs> but it's not, is it? You just said... That's just anyone can say anything. You just said there's three. So are they strikers or midfielders? They're both. Yeah, okay. Good. So, so like the, the most lawly thing you've ever said. So the thing that the, the thing that um, impressed me during the the Cardiff game um, in the first half was the the meaningful possession we had in terms of uh, I was actually sat with a QPR fan that game uh, who hasn't seen a lot of Norwich, understandably. Um, not even on Easter Monday. Um, no, no, <laughs> he, he he didn't go. He's not he's not a regular. Um, so, so you've seen QPR twice more than him. <laughs> but, that reminds me about that game. Yeah, that's consigned to the rubbish bin of history. He was getting frustrated on my behalf for how slowly we were moving the ball, and I was sat there going, "No, this is quite fast for us, actually. This, this, this is. I'm actually quite pleased with this first half." And he's like, "Yeah, I can see why you've been a bit wound up this season." I was like, "Yeah, but actually, this is more meaningful. We do seem the players seem to get the system, and that's why I think with with the right personnel changes in in the summer." Then there is a potential to that 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 can blossom. My, my 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 issue, as Paddy touched on earlier, is I still think we're too easy to stop. 
we're too easy to blunt um, and that's going to be a problem for us at home and you need solid home record to, to go up. Agree, but I think every time Hernandez has played at home, he's offered that extra dimension. He's offered that running behind and that is what gets teams worried. If you've got a defender on the back foot and you've got a player who's quicker than them... So why is he themselves. not starting them? Well, he's been injured of late, hasn't he, in fence? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's had the hamstring problem and I think there was a setback when he was on on the way back from the hamstring, but... He, he, he had a Jarvis... Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not the hamstring. That's every other part of the anatomy as well, to be fair. But uh, Hernandez, you you, look, you speak to Farker about him, and he and he raves. I mean, obviously he would because he, he brought him in, so he's he's one of his men in that respect. But he he really thinks this guy can, um, as we're discussing here, be a bit of an X factor player. Um, and I think obviously we've seen glimpses of him now, but I think it'll be next season, and hopefully with Shrebeni as well. A bit like Zimmerman, you know, Zimmerman when he first came in, you thought no. Nah, Fourth tier from Germany, too big a golf, but give him his due. Okay, it, it's still you know QPR game against brings to mind that there's 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 areas of concern with him, but I think in the round he's clearly shown he he can play at championship level. So Hernandez, it, yeah, he excites me because he as you say he offers something a little bit different. He allows and and I think Farker has recognised that that they were too predictable, they were too lateral, too laborious in their in their you know passing through the thirds. But you put Hernandez in there, he stretches the play, they can go quicker, they can go longer. Um, and then that allows that extra space, allows a Leitner, a Madison, a, a Vrancic to hopefully pick a few passes. Um, but for me, it, it does, at the risk of repeating myself, it's the man down the middle, whether we call him a striker, a midfielder, an attacker, whatever. It, they're just words, Paddy. Yeah, they're just words. <laughs> exactly. So uh, well, words, words are my business. I want to see, I'm looking forward to seeing that somewhere <laughs> in the coverage. Um, even if it's just one tweet, it'll make my day. Uh, so on the, on the subject of Farkin noticing that being an issue... Is that who we are giving the credit to for uh, spotting holes in, in, in the personnel and going out and getting it? Because I thought that was what Weber was the genius at doing. Is it clear to those who have a close relationship to the club, like yourself and Michael Bailey and the rest of you, your lot, that one's a Weber, that one's a Farker, that one's a Weber, that one's a Farker, or, or is, is the message not as clear as that? Well, I think, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, Marley Watkins, that wasn't a Daniel Farker signing. That was clearly a Stuart Weber signing. Um, Raggett, another one. Um, but clearly the, the, the German-flavoured imports have got Farker's stamp on them. I mean, Hernandez, um, he's got close links to Braunschweig, I think that's the part of Germany he's from, so so that was clear. Leitner, he'd worked with um, Zimmerman, obviously, he had last season. So I, I don't think it's black and white in that regard. I think they are working collaboratively, but, but ultimately if Farker can go to Weber and say, oh, I know X and Y, um, I think he comes into our price bracket, I think he can add to us then ultimately than Weber need his role as far, as far as I see it is to make the deals happen you know to get them over the line but I don't think it's a case of and maybe as it was sold initially 12 months ago that Weber would say to Farker there's a set of players you get on and just coach them I think it's a far more nuanced um, approach than that and, and clearly Farker um, is, a, is not going to accept I don't think players put onto him that he's got no desire for or he's had no input into the process. But he did allude to that, didn't he? I think it was during our second bad run, the more recent one, um, he did allude in, a, well, I don't know if it was Chris Gorman who was talking to, it was one of the post-match interviews, he did say something on the lines of, you know, we're missing that bit of quality or, or that's the bit of quality that I had available to me or something like that, which was, which I thought, well, hang on, you, you, you can't have it both ways. Like, You feel that like both of them have got a way out both of them can say, well, that wasn't really mine. And oh, that, what, that guy wasn't really mine. <laughs> but and surely the whole point of it is that it's a team. And everyone accepts it as a team. It's not a Weber man or a yeah. Farker man. It's a group discussion. And Farker could quite easily have been alluding to injuries rather than transfers. If that, if you've quoted him verbatim. I don't think there is a I'm case of... I'm very unlikely to have quoted him verbatim. Yeah, fair <laughs> that was real I probably just dreamt it, to be honest. I think the days of one person having... having um, Responsible, yeah, for, responsible for all the transfers are long gone, and I think there's a whole team of them, Weber and Farker among them, but not only Weber and Farker who are who are doing all this sort of stuff. Going back to um, how you think things have, have, have shaken out, Paddy, um, our expectations for the season uh, were, were kind of mixed in this room and have been mixed throughout the first few months of the season before, kind of towards the middle of January, we all just settled for, oh, it's just going to be this again. Fair enough. Michael Bailey was very clear on um, the fact that he thought this year was going to be a struggle, you know, before the transfer window even started really last year. Okay. What about you? How, how how do you think this season is shaped up in terms of what your expectations were and, and how has that 
affecting your expectations going into next year? Well, I would have thought start the season, given it's such a new, bold approach and, and the turnover of players, more, more than the actual bringing in a Fark and a Weber, because they obviously had time to bed in. But I think it was 40 at the last count uh, in the last summer window, which is just an absolute ridiculous amount of churn to, to the top end of your squad. Obviously, there's a few development players in and out as well. But within that context, I thought start of the season before, before they went to Fulham, I thought top 10 was realistic. And then you obviously hope that they get a little bit of momentum, a bit of wind in the sails, and then they can push on. And that's the frustration for me in terms of the total lack of consistency in the results. You know, it's lurched from club record clean sheets, one defeat in 10 to you know, going the other way uh, and then to the fact that you go to Birmingham on Boxing Day and it's kind of you need a win here just to sort of keep the wolf from the door and then yeah. they picked up again through the new year and in, and in pure results terms it is tailing off again I think it's one win in six or seven maybe even maybe even more than that so it's the inconsistency and the the scale of the inconsistency you know you can accept losing the odd game but when they've been good they've been decent and you can see what they're trying to do and you can see there's a bit of momentum but in the other periods of the season, it, it's it's been prolonged, and, and that isn't moving forward going to be a formula that gets them any harder than they are now. For, for me, for next season, I think again a lot will hinge on the window uh, we're about to go into in the summer, particularly you know the the, the, the marquee players, the Madisons of this world. What's going to happen to them, and if they do leave, then how effectively they can be replaced. But I think you know if we say it's going to be a 12th, 13th place finish this season, I think probably top 10 I would start again as my expectations before a ball's kicks next season I, I agree with Michael I think it's it's a leap of faith to think that on the basis of what we've seen so far from Farker and Weber that they, that they are building something that is going to be top 6 nailed on I, don't, I, don't, I think we're a long way from that Do you think John that the the way we try to play and obviously Paddy mentioned the you know when it works you can see oh, okay that's what it's supposed to be like um, is it that we is that style of football that isn't going to work at the level of players we can afford? I think it'll work when you're one nil up. I think it'll work um, away from home very often. But the issue here is home form, you know, and it always has been home form throughout the season. And we haven't been able to break teams down. And it, you know, we've talked about it this evening. It comes down to personnel, uh, you know, and that's the problem here. But that's the thing. I, I, I don't think it's the system. Got, can, I genuinely can we, think. can we afford good enough players to play that style of football quickly enough to get in and around? Well, I think we're yes. going to get onto it, and I think possibly, um, and it depends what markets we're working in. And it was interesting to listen to Weber's comments earlier this season around the fact that his recruitment team hasn't really bedded in, and there's going to be markets that they're tapping into potentially this summer, but possibly the window after that they haven't looked at before so you'd probably be thinking Dutch leagues Portuguese leagues where you can pick up players who potentially offer that value for money um, and have got the quality required to compete at this level it's going to be a difficult task of course but we've got the factor of let's face it we're about to sell James Madison now you'd hope that's north of 20 million if it is alright Cov are going to get fairly decent add-ons off the back of that I'm sure Paddy certainly hopes that um, but we've got money to play with because we've had the Pritchard sale in the bank as well. Or you'd hope we've got money to play with. Um, and I think, genuinely, and maybe this is me with my glass half full hat on, um, I think we're only two or three players away from being a really, really decent side. We're also two or three players away, or losing two or three players from being a really shitty side. So but it is a very interesting summer. I would add to that that I think, on the whole, Farker and Weber's recruitment has been fairly good. Yeah, agree. Better than quite a few managers who have gone before them and they have picked up a couple of real bargains so yes we can afford the players to play the style of football that Fark wants to play it's just being clever about finding them it, and I think just sorry just to go back on that I think actually if you look at Weber it's the lad at Huddersfield is somewhat is it Kachunga or I forget what his name yeah, 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 yeah. properly what we needed this season and he looked like a Weber signing to me if we can pick up someone like that and I think it was only a season long loan and they they kind of bought him permanent when they got up to the Prem. That's exactly what we need. Or, and he's not that pacey, but, and I said it to you boys the other day, Lewis Graben in this team, making intelligent runs in behind and actually gravitating into space. That would go down well. It wouldn't, <laughs> and he'd have to be less of a twat, but like Lewis Graben. So what we want is Ricky, a less twatty Lewis Graben. Yeah, Ricky yeah, Hamilton would be brilliant at this team. Apparently, oh, apparently yeah. Basel are offloading him. Love, right? <laughs> I, I don't welcome him back with open eyes. Those first Think few of the t-shirts games. we could do with. <laughs> Those first few games he played, where he made 
Like, it was only about three or four games before his head went and he was. But the ghost, the ghost but he made some look lovely little passes. No that's one of my. It's probably in my top twenty-five favorite Norwich moments of all time. The top ghost twenty-five, passes. just because of just the thing, nothing encapsulated a season that went wrong in the same way of him doing. Oh, this would be clever. Oh, there's no one there. No, but but, I, can, Dutch. I can tell you an anecdote. I think. It, correct me if I'm wrong. I think his now father-in-law, but that was his girlfriend, is Johan Nieskins' daughter. You know, the great yeah. Dutch. And apparently, so the story went, two games into watching him play for Norwich, he said to him, you'll never score goals in this side. So, safe to say, he wasn't a fan of Chris Hewitt's methodology. But he could see two games into the, to his career, get out of him. He wasn't the only one in the team that wasn't a fan of Chris Hewitt's methodology. Moving on to the summer, uh, the players that we're expecting to move on, Madison, Reed. Gun. I'm going to move on. Obviously, the last two don't belong to us at the moment. Um, we think Oliveira. Presumably, they'll try and get a fee for him because it clearly hasn't worked. Um, Shabeni presumably is going to be back up. So we need a number nine. I know again that's that's a number rather than a word, but you know we need someone someone to lead the line. Is that okay? You down with that, Lorne? Yeah. Someone to mostly play be in front of the other players. Play point. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we need uh, some pace to complement O'Neill Hernandez and. Um, and Murphy not necessarily pace the ability to run in behind guile a bit of guile guile and desire to get in behind Des- yeah desire is a big one when, when we were um, when I was doing the uh, preview with the Roker Park uh, fanzine for the Sunderland game um, and they were asking you know looks like we're headed to League One what, what can we expect and it obviously got me thinking back to what our experience was like down there, and the and the kind of players we had, and, and the, the the way that the way that I answered that question to them was, um, you need to replace a lot of the type of player you've got with hunger, desire, passion, players with the chip on their shoulder, players on the way down, players who feel that they should have had a better chance already, because actually that was a lot of, that seemed to be a lot of the the, the way that Lambert got that team galvanised, and I almost feel like even though we're in the championship, not League One, that's something that that we have missed this season and something that I would like to see us add, which is maybe take a couple of risks on people who are incredibly hungry. Do you not think we've done that? And shown to, that to, in to, these last few games. To a degree. Leitner, um, all have got that hunger. I don't think Leitner's got the right attitude, but I do think that I do think that the Tribal's a prime example of that. I'm worried about his injuries, but um, the, yeah, he, he, he he's a perfect example. I would like more of those types than the um, than the Marley Watkins types but you'd say before balls kicked the season that Marley Watkins was exactly that kind of type and what I would add to that is I think we're starting sideways move wasn't it we're starting to show that desire in the last few games like as Paddy said we could have easily folded Mm. at Preston but we didn't we had that desire that hunger to not get beat yeah I I I think that I think the players are playing for the manager um, and I think they are playing for some a mixture of selfish reasons and also and and also the desire not to get beaten. But my, I just think we are we are so many of the players who have done well this season are not going to be there next year, and that 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 is why I, I will have to start pre window. My expectations for next season are um, higher bottom half, purely because I don't know who's coming in to replace most of the players who I think have been the best players this season. Like yet Zimmerman's done well in patches. Hanley, phenomenal signing, absolutely superb, delighted with him. Um closer expected to go. Um so that means you've got Zimmerman Raggett potentially alongside and that was one of the reasons I thought maybe he's gone to four at the back. Along the lines of he's thinking, well I'm, I might not have three centre backs that are going to be at a level that I can play, so it's going to be two from three. But then, why is Zimmerman not one of the ones that's in there? That's an interesting point because I think Tim Closer is almost pivotal to playing three at the back because he can step out of defence on yeah. that left hand side. And he's almost an additional left back, and then you know Lewis has got all the freedom in the world to to go forward with it. We should at least have him for another year, Lewis. You'd hope, hopefully. So. Yeah. Um, the like it would be a real shame to for him to to go off to. a one of the two or three Premier League clubs that have made an inquiry. What what I would just add to that, if we're talking about what what qualities we need in terms of new signings, I think when I said desire, it being a word, I meant it in a different way to how you've taken it. So I don't think we need desire as in we need more heart and more fight. I think we need desire in terms of a willingness to look a bit stupid and to take a risk and to make that running behind 
when you might not be found or make the running behind when you know that if you get it you're going to be one on one with the keeper and you you don't mind missing a couple that kind of desire and I think that's what we've lacked this season that is very Hernandez they are Hernandez qualities aren't they and that's what we've lacked in Oliveira and that's why I'm more optimistic about Scribeni after the last couple of games is that willingness to put yourself in situations where you might look like an idiot Oliveira doesn't do that he hides in games where you know where he's not having a great game and he comes and gets the ball deep and takes pot shots from distance he doesn't make the hard runs yeah I, I think he looks awful <laughs> I, I, you know, sure, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I've seen very little redeem. He took his goal well, but he's missed several easier chances than that. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it's early days, and it's a big move for him, and it's a new country, and all the rest of it. But you know, on, on early showings, he, he looks. I mean, he looks as good as Harry Kane looked. So give it a few years. Yeah, he's going right to be. He's going to be in the Ballon d'Or running. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. So, so Paddy, just to round up on the this kind of transfer window side of things. Um, this summer, aside from from your kind of your, your number nine or your leading the line guy that we want, um, what do you think we should do with the funds that come in from Madison? We, you know, we assume it's going to. We're trying to temper our expectations around the late teens mark. We don't. You know, we, we're being told not to expect it to go north for twenties. Never played in the Premier League before. Yeah. Um, so unless you get really lucky with an injury to to an attacking midfield player in late pre-season, we think you might have gone by then. Um, where would you, as Weber and Farker's transfer advisor, say you really need to invest that money? Aside from the obvious, which is we need a bloody striker. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're if we agreed round the table that Madison departs, then they need to replace him. Bearing in mind, obviously, Mr. Hulan's away as well. So, you know, I think he'd like to bring Leitner back quite clearly, um, but that would only be in a loan capacity because I think he's contracted to Augsburg till 2021. So. There's no way that could be a permanent deal there. Um, but I guess that's going to hinge as much on Moritz Leiner and what he wants to do. So that needs to be resolved. Um, you might argue Kenny McLean comes in, but I don't think he's going to be a like-for-like like, um, from all reports I've had so far. And it's quite clear they looked and tried to bring the boy Abue in in January, the right-back, who went, I think, to Benfica in the end from, from Holland. Um if Reed's going back to Southampton, which he will be initially at the start of summer, then they need another right back to compete with Pinto. With the caveat that Pinto is a 2019 contract, and when I put the question to him two or three weeks ago, I didn't get the sense that he was uh, 100% committed to to being here and extending his contract. And if he's not going to extend his contract, then this is potentially the the, the last opportunity to sell him because by by January of, of next season, then you're in a you're in a Sol Campbell type situation. So. You know, he's nowhere near as good as Sol Campbell. No, in terms of the but, contract. But going back to you know, obviously he was he was kind of retrospectively put into the, the captain's role when Russ went north, or rather there wasn't too many other candidates to be fair. Was yeah, it? and but what what does that tell you about you know the, the captain of your club? You know, not not being resolute about saying he wants to commit his future to the club, etc. Um, if you, if you can get you know two hundred fifty thousand for him, take it because if if he can be ousted by a Let's have it right. Mid mid tier championship central midfielder from right back who's five foot tall. Yeah, uh, and and realistically, if anything, we've looked better. Um, and you mentioned that okay, Reed's not great going forward. Pinto runs very fast. He's got a good chop on him, but that's about he, it. He runs yeah. very fast, and uh, he can hit it quite high over everyone's head in the box. But then I can do that, so, other than the fast bit. So yeah, I. I'd be happy to see the back one. But again, that just brings back to... It's another season. It's another summer of churn. Um, and and, and that, that concerns me because let's say you bring in... Even if he does get... Say he brings in seven new players, of which five are first-teamers, of which three are German or of a similar ilk to, to where he's come from before. That means you've got to teach them the far way. They've got to learn the philosophy. I don't think right. we're looking at that many, though. I think we're looking at four or five signings well, here this summer. And sounds that like sums gonna, up, we're going to lose eight or nine. Though. That sums up your problem as a <laughs> fan, right? So you don't want Pinto here. You want him sold and you want him replaced. But you see us replacing these players as a problem and something that concerns you. Be excited about it. I'm excited to see the back of Pinto... My so be excited about the fact that someone's going to come in. I'm excited that there's the potential that they might be better. But my concern, again, is that we had to have all of that patience yeah. with the new, the new style, the new, the new uh, progress, etc., etc. So what would you rather they do? Not get rid of players and keep the I, no, not have the germ? No, no, I'm, 
I'm not saying that getting rid of Pinto isn't the right thing to do, given How the context that, that Palace has said. I'm just saying that because we're going to have to make all these changes again, it means that we have to again temper our expectations because we are then going to have to do it. It's not necessarily a problem. It just means that, again, what Paz just said, it's a central window for us, one of the most important for a while, because we have to get the rest of, as many of the rest of the high earners off the books as we can and hopefully pick some lads. And I, I would like it to be more players who we can actually sign to two, three contracts because then we can have one more transition season. The season after that, if we can have nine of... If, tw if we go into then 2019, 2020 with nine of the first teamers from 2018, 2019, we don't then have to say, right, it's going to take us three months of games for everyone to get used to how Farquhar wants to play. Because instead, the, 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 the philosophy is inbuilt in the club. Webber's had multiple windows. So I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm on board with the fact that this is transition. But I'm just saying that going back to the, the point of the conversation, which was our expectations... If we're making that much churn again, again, we need to dampen our expectations right down based on they're going to have to learn the system. But I don't think it'll be that much churn. I think keeper aside, back line, you would say there's going to be minimal change there, if any. Possibly right back. Tivo may start. Close wants to go, Pinto might go, um, and Reed's gone. So so one of the last time that a back forward. So you've got Hermie, you've got Zimmerman, you've pro from what I've heard, close is potentially staying, but Jamel Lewis. And Evo, who is supposedly still our skipper at the moment. So back line, relatively stable. Midfield, all right, the Teddy contractual situation is yet to be sorted. But that aside, and Madison, actually, you'd probably be looking at the same personnel. What's your gut Perhaps... feel on Teddy, Paddy, while we've got you? I, can't, you I can't say. Yeah, I think it will be. I don't think you'll get the, the, the Wes done and dusted scenario because ultimately now he holds the cards. He can sit back over yeah. the summer, see what options come through, put on the table. I'm not sure financially Norwich have been able to give him an offer that is, you know, attractive enough. So, uh, but then if there's no other, you know, no other potential suitors, then it, it could happen. But he can hardly train, can he? He's got half a knee. Exactly. Yeah, he's not getting any younger. His body's not getting any uh, resistance. Yeah, it doesn't the, the seem load. like doesn't seem like he's going to be inundated. With, no, I wouldn't have thought so. No. Which, which, in, which will work in Norwich? Pep's not going to be on the phone, is no, he? No, no, no. Well, I mean, speaking of knee problems, we're just watching the Liverpool Roma Champions League game, and it looks like Clay Chamberlain might be out of the World Cup. He's just done something very, very nasty, some, uh, which is bad news because he's. We haven't got a lot of midfielders in form at the moment for England. Sorry to cut up there, Paddy, but Jones, uh, Madison. Break it, breaking news. Yeah, yeah. Mar marches into the marches into the team. We're only really going to see change in the top end of the pitch, in my view. Anyway, I don't think we're going to see wholesale change anywhere else. And we're sat here around the table asking for change at the top end of the pitch. So yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. That you know we're going to be looking at this massive churn that everyone thinks it is. I think you're going to be looking at six or seven out, four to five in possibly, and I think that you know that that kind of flows in and dovetails in to this kind of project that we're working towards. So I, I think you're being a bit doomy. And if you adjust your mindset from concern to excitement, you'll enjoy life a lot more. Okay. Lawn's life lessons again on the pod. Okay. <laughs> so one person who won't be on board for the project anymore uh, is the greatest player to ever play for Norwich City and that is Wesley Houlihan. Um, he uh, will leave a hell of a legacy. Um, there's the Derby Day element. I presume there, maybe there's someone from the from the Eons that has a similar record to that, but I'm surprised, I haven't seen that stat bandied about, but you'd have, probably have to go back a long way until someone on either side of the divide played in 10 and, and didn't lose one. A huge part of the playoff, um, the playoff team, huge part of the League One success. Um, and obviously did score some goals in the Premier League as well. Um, I think that it's a shame, <laughs> to put it lightly, that the testimonial isn't going to be going to take place in in good order. Um, it seems very odd that he could really, he could be playing in the MLS or somewhere else, and then mid October or in an, presumably in an international break, we we get a random friendly. Um, could be against the inner legends. Yeah, well, it, the whole thing seems to be a bit odd, a bit of an afterthought. Bearing in mind, they see they they were apparently trying to get this testimonial done all season. Where's it apparently and, and had been pushing to get it arranged all season? Um, yeah, is this inside knowledge? Because that's not the noises the club are making. What that Wes has been trying to get a testimonial arranged all season. Um, it's a noise that's coming out of my mouth. 
That's just noise. Like so many others. Yeah. So so yeah. Uh, yeah from no. just words to just noise. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going back. It doesn't take him long. <laughs> so eventually. What's your point? Uh, my, my, yeah. my, my point. We were about to talk loving here about Wes, and now okay. we've gone on. <laughs> so I love Wes, and I'm probably going to cry on Saturday. What's your favourite uh, Wes moment? My favourite Wes moment, the penalty against Ipswich. Yeah. Was fantastic. Um, recently, his um, his antics for Ireland in the year 2016. Um, it's the most engaged in international football I've been for a long time. A particular goal. I mean, the the, the one that did the rounds, the gift that did the rounds at Burton, where he sat those you know 15 players down. Rotherham, that was. Rotherham, I beg your pardon. So I saw the light blue kits. Yeah. Um, yeah, that 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 was incredible. I remember he also. I remember the way that he played in that Wigan, that first game against Wigan in the Premier League. And he got a goal, and um, he he was just an absolute magician. And you thought, oh, he is going to be able to do it at this level. Oh, that's that's fantastic. I, I remember that feeling of that. What what about what about you? Uh, all of them. I loved his little jig when he scored at Sunderland with Kai Kamara. Uh, but I don't think there was one particular moment. I just had this when I think of Wes, I think of the opposition having pinned us back in our box, and a corner or something gets half cleared to him on the edge of the box. And he gets closed down by about three men and you think, oh shit, we're going to lose it. <laughs> and he just does a little body jink and he's suddenly away and we're on the attack. And yeah. that, that ability just to pluck the ball out of the sky and then leave four men in his wake. John, w- w- what will you be thinking of on, on Saturday as you walk to Cairo? Like, well, like you, mate, I can't get away from the playoff final penalty because it was just... Semi-final. Yeah, playoff semi-final. Although he was phenomenal in the playoff yeah, final, let's just be honest about it. Best player in the park by a mile for me. But I remember the the penalty was awarded, and it's against Ipswich, and you just think it's on telly, it's playoff semi, and I genuinely I thought he was going to miss it. You know, I was absolutely right in front out of you as well. Yeah, exactly, right in front of me, and he strokes it home with absolute ease, and then he just makes a beeline for Blockstein-y. and it's just like. Everyone else was completely insignificant at that point in time, and it was just me and Wes just mm. celebrating the goal. That's how that's <laughs> what he remembers it too. That is how I remember it, and how I will continue I to remember it until pun. I die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I um, so I uh, sit at Carrow Road until he's poorly this season with my dad, and so he's been going since he was eight, um, and until I think it was uh, halfway through last season or towards the, the start of last season that he finally relented in our regular. Norwich City best eleven discussions. He finally relented and put Wes above Kenny Foggo as his as as who he think, thought was the most gifted player of all time. And he's seen Martin Peters. He's seen a lot, but he finally it, it was it was it was during the ninth season where he was it, because I think it's on. Yes, Huck's probably more impact overall. Yes, Holt from in terms of contribution, number of goals, but for pure longevity, for the number of different regimes, for the number of incredible fan memories we've got how many of them feature that little man as a huge part of it and, yeah. and for that longevity for me he, had, he, he they should retire the number 14 yeah I don't know about that I'm not sure about retiring the number 14 because then you just get get into can you retire any shirt ever we've, we've, no. got, a, we've got a poll on that on today on the, on oh, the yeah. pink and yeah and I think um, four or five options the last one being Testimonial should be enough. I think was probably edging it. So yeah, I reckon it is. I think the prevailing mood is uh, that will be if we ever get around to it. Obviously, testimonial and a large along come Norwich flag with his face on and the Chris Gordon <laughs> commentary. I think that would be perfect. For yeah, me. beautiful. Someone should try and arrange that to happen on Saturday. There's another moment though, and it was just purely because I didn't know he could kick the ball that far until he did it. Was that goal against Leicester? I don't know if you remember. It was an absolute just yeah. swing. Just it wasn't top corner, but. He can't really kick the ball that far, and it was a good 30, 35 yards. It, well, yeah. well, he's only got, got one that kicks the well, ball. Well, yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> shot. That's the other thing. But it was ten just ten like years shit. as our best player, he's only got one leg. <laughs> like, he's got one for standing on, and everything is done with the other one. It's incredible. Um, okay, so... We have uh, no Paddy's moment. I'm sure Paddy's got loads oh, of I think, you've, to be honest, you've robbed them from me. I was going to say <laughs> Wigan and then the playoff semi, but... Um, Forest, that was a nice one as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Although beaten by Johnny House and sadly in the, their own unique goal of the season. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible to three. That goal day. of a half. Moving on to the your, your questions, the Twitter post bag. Um, starting off with Ben Davy from Twitter. Yeah. What are Paddy's thoughts as a neutral? Neutral on Carrow Road neutral. mood swings. I don't think it's Carrow. I think 
as everybody probably knows, our Coventry fan for many years. It's the same at Cov, when the, more so the swing to suicidal at the minute. <laughs> But when we used to be up and down a little bit like Norwich have been in recent times, it was, I don't know whether social media nowadays magnifies it a little bit. I mean, I remember distinctly that that period before Christmas of last season where it was poor result after poor result and it was literally taking your life in your hands to go on Twitter immediately after the canary call hour, as I call it, from the final whistle to six o'clock or whatever because it was just absolute doom and gloom when quite clearly moods are so polarised and everything is so black um, so maybe maybe it's a modern phenomena but uh, I don't think in terms of per se highs and lows I think that's synonymous with most football clubs I think if you were a player would you have a social media account would you no be on chance. Twitter no <laughs> which is amusing to me now because Russell Martin uh, I don't know if we're allowed to mention him formerly of the parish but um, some he, of us love him I think, well, I think oh, he's still contracted some love to the parish yeah well, he certainly is well for now anyway but he Absolutely, categorically, never would go on social media. Never would be. And now I see he's popped up on Instagram and uh, eulogising about Wes in the last day or two. So it's amazing the conversion these footballers go through. But uh, no, to take Lorne at his question, no, I'd, I'd advise him to steer clear. Um, just because it's, you know, if things are going badly, yeah, it's just complete negative overload, isn't it? Why do you need that if you're a player? You know, you, you know yourself. Those players know themselves. They don't need to be lambasted in their uh, at mentions on their Twitter account. They know if they play poorly, so why magnify it? Okay, a uh, question from the Unthanked Kitchen on Twitter. How important is it to finish above Ipswich? Punt. Don't care. Genuinely don't care. It's as simple as that. Lorne? I care a little bit because it's the only thing that's left on the season, but I don't care that much. Are we currently ahead by Goldens or one point? One point. One point. Because their Goldens was slightly better than ours most of the season. Yeah, I would say that I care because, you know, no, I would say I care if it happens, but if we, if it, but it's one of those where if we lose, as in, if, you know, if we finish beneath them, I don't care. If you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it, it's the sort of thing that it matters that little to me. If it happens, you'll smile about it, but yeah, exactly. it doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think, and, and more it's the, the element of how much it will work them, because it, it probably, in context of they've had, you know, getting on for nearly two decades of nothing to cheer about. It probably, you know, it's the first opportunity to have any kind of. I think even I think when Mick did departed, bang on. Oh, Mo Salah's just being Mo Salah. That's quite a good goal, that. So on Mick McCarthy, I thought what was interesting is uh, first game after Mick McCarthy left, they had their heaviest defeat since before Mick McCarthy joined. I think that's a nice little. Be careful what you wish for. But, mm-hmm. but to just go back slightly, Chamber Luke Chambers came out and said that after Mick had left, I think the first media he did was basically the mixed pine shot was go on and finish above those down the road. So in terms of within the Ipswich dressing room, it clearly is a motivating factor. It hasn't quite worked of late. I think by the results. Farker as well, because actually his post-match press yeah. conference, he was very quick to point out with a wry grin on his face. He certainly was, yeah. But I mean, as you boys are alluding, it probably means not as much as he probably thinks it does to the Norwich fan base, but we'll forgive him now, because he's not been here that long. So before the next podcast comes out, me and you, Tom, will have played football at Cow Road for Proud Canaries. Uh, they've got a LGBT fan and ally football tournament at Cow Road on the 5th of May, which is a Saturday, from 4 until 7. It's Maybe completely six. free. The 6th? No, it's definitely it's the 5th. If you keep yeah. getting this wrong, Sorry. it's the 5th of May. That's why I didn't know the play to start The 5th of May. Sorry. 4 till 7, it's completely free. To come along and watch, and there'll be teams from all over the country coming along, and you can cheer on me and you representing Norwich. Bear in mind how much Andy argues with me over just talking about football. It's going to be interesting to see how that central midfield partnership works (laughs) on the pitch when, in theory, we're going after the same goal. It's purely the reason I'm coming. (laughs) It might be a bit of a... Who was it? Uh, Kieran Dyer and... uh, We might end up both being sent off. (laughs) (laughs) As I said to Punt, you're a better footballer than you are a football fan. Thank you very much. So, I don't know why, come. I don't even know if that's a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) A better take it, everyone. Sorry, do the quiz. A big thank you to the nine teams that attended the first ACN pub quiz last Friday. The forces to Canary's team were narrowly beaten in the end by a team featuring our very own Andy Lorne. 
which is both slightly suspicious and perhaps will stop him complaining about my questions, although based on how he's behaved this evening... No, because I think or what was interesting... situated his team where no one else could see them. What was interesting was... But very good Wi-Fi reception where he was sitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, in a cave. Yeah, perfect Wi-Fi. Should what was very interesting was when me and John got the same questions, I wiped the floor with him. Carry on. Okay. He's full of being himself today, isn't he? <laughs> Quiz is the same as always. Paddy, you have got 60 seconds as our guest, then Pun will have a go, then Lorne will have a go. He passes count in a mastermind vibe. Uh, they, yeah, in the you, final analysis. You are, you are advised to pass regularly uh, because you will go back to the ones that you've missed. Okay. Um, so if you don't know, don't spend too long thinking about it because actually there might be easy ones because we're front loading it with Champions League questions as okay. we're currently watching a Champions League match. Okay. Uh, and then the second half of, of each person's questions are to do with the beautiful magician that is Wesley Hulahan. So, Paddy, your time starts now. Rangers were the first to face a fellow British team in the Champions League. Who did they play? Leeds. Correct. Which Chelsea player scored three times over two legs against Barcelona in 2000? Crespo. Incorrect. Who was sent off for Arsenal in the 2006 final against Barcelona? Sol Campbell. Incorrect. In which year did Wes make his Republic of Ireland debut? 208. Correct. Who did Wes score his first Premier League goal against? Wigan. Correct. Who were Ireland playing when Wes assisted Robbie Brady for a winning goal in Euro 2016? Italy. Correct. Which Chelsea player scored three times over two legs against Barcelona in 2000? Lampard. Incorrect. Who was sent off for Arsenal in the 2006 final against Barcelona? Lehman. Correct. Which Chelsea player scored three times over two legs against Barcelona in 2000? Robin. You can keep guessing. Mutu. Terry. Fine. Incorrect. But oh, an amazing five out of six, effort. and you were just a tour Andre flow away. No one wants to be a tour Andre flow away. Five out of six is an incredibly Thank strong you. score. Right, I'll Punt. see you later. later. <laughs> right then, Punt, your turn. Your six questions to try and get at least five, so I've got a good tiebreaker this week. Zero chance, mate. I believe in you. Thanks. Your time starts now. Which future Premier League manager was the top scorer in the Champions League in the 93-94 season? Pass. What was the furthest stage Leeds United got to in the Champions League? Semis. Correct. What significant first occurred in the 2010 Champions League final? Not sending off. No, nope. can't be. What trophy did Wes win with Blackpool? St Johnston's. Incorrect. Paint, Wes won the Barry Butler Trophy and then went on to score two and get an assist against who? Mm. Last game of last season. Yeah, can't even remember. Okay. Pass. Who did Wes score against in Euro 2016? Sweden. Correct. Um, who? Which which Premier League manager was the top scorer in the Champions League in the 93-94 season? Biali? Incorrect. Um, what significant first occurred in the 2010's Champions League final? What was unique about it? Pass. Uh, what trophy did Wes win with Blackpool? Oh. No idea. Like, Punt's looking at me like I've let him down two out of six. <laughs> yeah, you have let me down. <laughs> they were some lawn so, questions, they were. In fairness as well, I, I was just so... Some lawn questions. I was so dazzled I Yours are definitely harder than mine. I, know, well, I wouldn't have got half of yours, Pat. So... Um, Colin Pad, put him out of your, his misery. Uh, the first one, uh, admittedly, is the hardest one of the night. The future Premier League manager, who was a top Champions League scorer in the 93-94 season, Ronald Koeman. Oh, top scorer. Yeah. I didn't actually write it down. He probably got like four, and it was just one of those um, that's a seasons question. when it was... I'm going to Google uh, as well, because he often gets these things wrong. Okay. Um, the what? trophy that wears one with Blackpool, I thought that was an easy one. must have been all in 12. League One playoff, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't well, count that as a trophy. trophy. Yeah, yeah. So again, that's a harsh question. He lifts a trophy. I can see where they're coming from. I can see where they're coming from. And also, from, <laughs> also, we're counting the trophies he lifted for us, including the. No, playoff. I wouldn't even. Call I wouldn't that call that a trophy. trophy. No. Okay, um, and then shit question. Well, in my world, do you remember the last game of the last season, anyone? Correct, thank you. I, again, I thought that was a gimme. Sweden was a gimme. Oh, the um, Champions oh. League final was played on a Saturday in 2010. Oh, Have you finished yeah. Googling Ronald Koeman yet? You've got your phone out and put Gave it away. Gave up because he got mad. Okay. Well, he was the joint top scorer. 
so maybe she didn't did explicit he, did he go that. on to be because then you would have because I would definitely got Winton Rufa who wasn't a Premier League manager that was the not yet okay right this has been excruciating for me right Lorne your time starts now which Blackburn striker scored a hat-trick in the Champions League um, Shearer incorrect who scored twice for Milan in their 2007 revenge final against Liverpool uh, Inzaghi correct against which club did Gareth Bale score a hat-trick in the Champions League in Milan correct in which year did Wes win young Irish player of the year 2008 no <laughs> <laughs> when Norwich signed Wes who went in the other direction um, oh the goalkeeper guy Matt Jilks correct uh, who was Wes's last goal scored against? Um, pass. Which Blackburn striker scored a hat trick in the Champions League? Torrente Flo. Oh, no, got the one. In which year did Wes win Young Irish Player of the Year? 2005. No. Uh, who was pass? 2004. No, yeah, before they Blackburn striker scored a hat trick in the uh, Champions pass. League. <laughs> 2004. <laughs> no. Uh, who was Wes's last goal scored against? <laughs> Okay. Who's Wesley's last goal against? Swindon. It's the only goal he scored this season. Mm, yeah, of course. In the cup. Uh, That's a pretty. He's had one. He's had one booking as well this season. Um, you got Matty Gilks. Uh, two thousand two, two thousand three. Wes won Young Irish Player of the Year. Um, the Blackburn striker who scored a hat trick in the Champions League was obviously Mike Newell. Fair enough. So, I appreciate that. Might they? Some of them might have been difficult. Um, the tiebreaker I had this evening, which won't be needed because Paddy has won and wiped the floor with everyone. It's absolutely um, Gibraltar competed in qualifying for the 2016 Euros. How many goals did they concede in their 10 group matches? 38. Paddy? 48. 54. 56. Punt oh, is so close. I'll give you an extra point, which means oh. you're only three behind Paddy. Cheers, mate. So fantastic work, Paddy. Thank you ever so much for joining us. We Thanks, really appreciate yeah, I know, your company. Thank you. um, we'll definitely get you on again, hopefully in the summer, to discuss the fantastic uh, signings we've made. Lorne, thank you for your time and for bullying me. Punt, I'm sorry that your questions were higher than everyone else. We look forward to seeing you in your Wesley t-shirts on Saturday. It's going to be a very emotional one. Bye-bye.